0: If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. The title of the message, Sharpen Your Own Sword, we'll see what that does and how it relates when we get to that section of scripture. It's toward the end of the chapter, but I just thought that was a pretty neat little way to explain it. So we're going through the word and let's see. 1 Samuel 13, Father we thank you for your word, we thank you Father for the fact that we can look to you, that we can walk by faith trusting and taking you at your word, we thank you Lord that you have given us examples within the scriptures of men and women who have walked by faith and also Lord negative examples of individuals who have ran ahead of you even individuals, Lord, who have had to be dragged behind you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be those who would desire your will for our lives and that we would trust, Lord, that you have a plan for us. And so bless this time. Open up our eyes. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit says to the church this morning. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's go and read the whole chapter and then we'll come back and we'll break it down. It's uh, just a few verses, not too many. This is 1 Samuel chapter 13. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines and the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash, to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Samuel went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever but now your kingdom shall not continue the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you then Samuel rose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin and Saul numbered the people present with him about 600 men Saul and jo- Saul Jonathan his son and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped at Michmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned on the road to Oprah, to the land of Shual. Another company turned to the road of Beth Haran. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zaboam toward the wilderness." Now there were no blacksmiths to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make swords and spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for a sharpening was a pim for plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to Michmash, went out to the pass of Michmash. And so the nation of Israel had asked for a king. They rejected God as their king, as their defender, and their reason for asking was they wanted to be like the world, God had a desire to be able to give them a king eventually, inevitably but they wanted it before God had wanted to give it to them and so God acquiesces and he gives them what they ask for be careful, God will give you what you ask for and so through their battle through their struggle through everything that goes on in the nation of Israel it's a physical thing we see a physical battle but for us it's spiritual the Bible declares in the book of Ephesians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities rulers of darkness and so that which we see here in the nation of Israel experience on a physical plane for us there's spiritual lessons to learn how to battle how to be victorious how to walk by faith and trust God and take him at his word and let him go before us let him lead us let him guide us. In the book of Ephesians, we are given the armor for this battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so there's things that the enemy wants to resurrect in our lives, their thoughts or their perceptions or they're just straight out lies that he feeds to us. And they form in our minds as strongholds, things we believe. Lies about the Bible. Lies about God. And so the enemy resurrects these strongholds in our minds and the word comes against that. The weapons of our warfare. The spiritual things that God has given us access to. And so Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, I would imagine probably looking at a soldier because it's one of the prison epistles and he sees what he sees. he's like, hold still, Here, hold up, let me write. Yeah, that belt of truth. Have a belt on, and that belt was more than something to hold his pants up. The belt was like a a policeman's belt, and that belt was where other things would hook on to. And so, one of the weapons that God has given us is the belt of truth. And truth combats the lies, and truth overcomes the darkness because it's light. Jesus said, The truth, you will know the truth, and the truth. Will set you free, and whom the sun sets free, is free indeed. And so we have the belt of truth in, in, in our arsenal, in our armor. Then, as he's looking, maybe he looks at the breastplate and calls it a breastplate of righteousness. And you and I are found righteous, right before God, only because Jesus. It's the great switcheroo, I call it. It's that Second Corinthians five twenty one thing. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we have the breastplate of righteousness. We are righteous because when we were bankrupt, Jesus took our our poverty of spirit and he carried it on the cross. He took our sin, carried it, and he gave us all of his righteousness. And so you have the breastplate of righteousness. And what does the breastplate cover? Your internal organs, the things that are very, very needed, right? Your heart and the reason for living. Then a helmet of salvation protects the head, and enemy is always shooting these darts at us, right, in the form of thoughts that would take away from this salvation, this great salvation that Jesus secured for us. And so just the protecting of the mind, the protecting of the head with understanding that I'm saved by grace through faith and it's not anything that I can do. It's not, I'm not working my way to heaven. God didn't take care of salvation and now I got to keep myself saved. The helmet of salvation. So you have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, sheet Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, wherever my feet are taking me, I want to be a spokesman for God. I want to be proclaiming God's goodness. I want to be speaking about God. And pointing people to Jesus and what he has to offer. Jesus said in John chapter 3 that as Moses was lifted up in the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that he would draw all men unto himself. And the gospel's crazy, isn't it? It's a foolish message to those who perish. But the Bible declares to us who are being saved it is the power of God unto salvation. I don't, I don't get it. How can some dude who died 2,000 years ago change my life? I don't know. But by faith, you accept that, you receive it, and your life is transformed. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. And then you have the shield of faith, and everything we do is walking by faith. And faith is trusting God, and enduring. It's being patient while you wait on God. And I think the trusting part is is maybe, for me at least, a little easier. It's the waiting. It's the endurance. It's the patience. Be still and know that I am God, the Bible says. And then you have finally the sword of the Spirit. The only member in the arsenal of our war the, the, the instruments that God has given us that is offensive. It's defensive, but it's also offensive. Everything else is a defensive piece of armor. And there's nothing covering the backside. And so we're not running from the enemy. We're running into enemy territory. Taking ground from the enemy. Possessing our possessions As the nation of Israel went over the Jordan River into the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, it speaks to us of the abundant life, the things that God has promised for us. And so we're not running from the enemy. We're running to the things that God has in front of us, God has in store for us, the blessings that God has our names written on them. But there's a battle isn't there? There's warfare. And and there's, there's things that trip us up and confuse us. And so when we look at the nation of Israel and we look at what they were desiring to be like the world, that wasn't good. To have a king to protect them, that wasn't good because God was protecting them. But what did God do? He's so patient with us. He's so gracious to Acquiesce to come down to our level and to endure with us long suffering. Verses 1 and 2 Saul assembles Israel's first standing army. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people sent away, he sent away every man to his tent. And so for the first time in the nation of Israel's history, they're going to have a standing army, a group of individuals that have been assembled for the purpose of fighting the battles, fighting the wars. And so it's looking good on that end. We're introduced for the first time in scriptures to Jonathan, Saul's son. And Jonathan is an incredible character within the scriptures. A man of faith who would take ventures of faith, taking God at his word and just trusting that God had him. Verses 3 and 4, Jonathan initiates conflict with the Philistines. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land. So we see Jonathan attack the garrison, but Saul blew the trumpet. Saying, let the Hebrews hear. Now, all Israel heard it and uh, said that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines, and the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. That's the first chink in Saul's armor that we see. The first little glimpse of this guy's heart that his son could go and battle and scrap and win a victory. And he has to blow the trumpet, taking credit for the victory. And it kind of begins to show us his motive. He cares what people think. It's not going to be good. In Geba, it says, or Geba, Geba, archaeologists have found this Philistine fortress at Geba, also known as Gibea. The archaeological evidence shows that it was destroyed but later rebuilt by Saul and became his palace and fortress. At the end there, it says Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. To be an abomination means to be detested or hated. And are you detested or hated by the enemy? You're only detested and hated by the enemy if you are exposing darkness for what it is. If you are taking territory, if you will, that belongs to you, you're possessing your possessions, you're moving forward in the things of God, you're growing in the grace and knowledge of God and his word, and you're moving forward in the things that God has in store for you, then yeah, you're an abomination to the enemy. He hates you. He wants to see you destroyed. But you'll notice... The Philistines were okay with Israel when they didn't fight. The israels I mean, the uh, Philistines were, they, they were all right to have Israel just, we'll, we'll, we'll sharpen your swords, we'll, uh, we'll be the ones that you can come to, but as long as you're not ruffling feathers, then we'll leave you alone. And if you aren't experiencing warfare in your life, then something's wrong. And you need to, you need to take an account of that. If the enemy is okay with you, if the enemy is happy with you, something's wrong. Verses 5 through 7, the Philistines prepare their army. Notice, then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. So wait, hold up. The nation of Israel wanted a king. The nation of Israel wanted to be like the world. They wanted a monarchy, a man that would be able to put together a standing army and defend them and be their defender because they were, I would imagine, all these things right here, right? They were hiding in caves and thickets and rocks and holes. They were distressed. And what did they get? They got the same exact thing through their request. There is no earthly thing that can replace that which God wants to give you. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what your desires are longing for. If they match God's, then that's awesome because the Lord wants to give us the desires of our heart as we delight ourselves in the Lord. But oftentimes we think something material, something on this earth is going to do something that it wasn't meant to do. And in this case, again, it's not doing it. They're still distressed. They're still hiding out. They're still running from the enemy. Probably many of them thought, what we really need is a king. A king would solve our problems. Now they have a king and the problems are still there. We often think things will fix problems when they won't at all. And hereby God intended to teach them the vanity of all carnal confidence in men and that they did not one jot less need the help and favor of God now than they did before when they had no king, it was God that they were supposed to look to. It was God that they were supposed to be longing for. So, what does Saul do? Of course, he offers an unlawful sacrifice. Verses 8 and 9. Then he waited seven days according to the time said by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered burnt offerings. Now history shows that this never works well. There was a time in history where, remember the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he prophesied and the people saw it and they said, is Saul amongst the prophets? Was Saul trying to get the people to say, is Saul among the priests? Was was he taking things that didn't belong to him? I, I call this section of the study, stay in your lane. Taking on responsibility that didn't belong to him. Doing things that he had no business doing. God's about community. And God has gifted the body to do certain things. It'd be about five years ago, the Lord put on my heart, I'm going to do a work through Calvary Chapel Living Water, but it's going to come through the body. And I get to see the fruit and the beginnings of those things. I will run through a wall with a word from the Lord. And so you hold on to those words from the Lord, precious and dear but it's not about a man and it's not about one individual. It's about the body of Christ being gifted and taking their place within the body and then doing what God has called them to do, walking by faith, trusting that God is going to do something. Out of fear, out of panic, out of not knowing what else to do, Saul did something clearly sinful. If Saul was among the prophets before, will he now be among the priests? Can there be any devotion and disobedience? Trapp says, O vain man, What can it avail to sacrifice to God against God? And what do we do with our lives? We make a mess of our lives. We make choices in our lives that are contrary to the will of God, contrary to the revealed word of God. And then we invite God into our mess and we say, Hey, God, can you bless my mess? And God says, Nope. I don't want no part of that. No part of your mess. But I'll take you back to the word that I gave you, and if you obey it, then I'll lead you. I love God that he's just so not politically correct. He is just the antithesis to political correctness. God's right, you're not. If there's a difference of opinion, change your opinion. Because God's not wrong. He's proven that he loves us. He's revealed it to us. He knows what he's talking about. But we get into those places where we have an objective, we have a plan, we have an idea of what it needs to look like, and then we call on God. God comes down to that level just to show us, look, look what happened. I'm just a big mess. We invite God in to say, God, can you bless the mess? And God says, no, start obeying me. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the simplicity of letting me lead you and guide you. Verses 12 through 10 through 12, Saul arrives and Saul tries to explain what he did. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed, And that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal. And I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered burnt offerings. Oftentimes, we'll be put in a situation where if we explain that situation to anybody on a horizontal plane, they would say, well, I can't blame you. Yeah, I would respond like that. Or I would have done the same thing. But God's not calling us to live on a horizontal plane. God's calling us to live on a supernatural plane. God's calling us to do supernatural things in this realm. And we're not going to do them in our own strength or in our own power. We're going to do them through the leading of God as he guides us. Saul's response is a classic example of excuse making and failure to trust God. Line upon line, Saul made his sin worse. With excuses It's not like he didn't know what he was doing It's not like he didn't know that it was wrong He knew it wasn't right for him to do that When he says I saw that the people were scattered from me He's saying I had to do something to impress the people And gain their support The Bible says that the fear of man is a trap It's a snare And you will obey that which you fear You will obey that whom you fear He feared the people He feared what the people thought He feared what the people would say you know that people don't like you as much as you like you. People aren't concerned about you as much as you're concerned about you. I don't know if that's a news flash for anybody. I'm not saying that there's not people in your life that love you and wish well upon you, but they're not thinking about you as much as you're thinking about you. Like they're not staying up at night worried about you or worrying about them, just like we worry about ourselves. So fear the Lord, obey the Lord. Please the Lord, look to know what he wants. When he says, you did not come within the days appointed, he's saying, you see, Samuel, it was really your fault. If you came earlier, I wouldn't have done this. When he says, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord, he's really saying, we really needed God's help against the Philistines and we needed it now, so I had to do it. Did he need it now? No, he wasn't walking by faith. He wasn't taking God at his word. He had the commandment of God, wait seven days. God is rarely or early, but never late. And he will wait us out for the purpose of, oftentimes what I've noticed is what? Changing my heart, changing my perspective, changing my thinking so that I can look to him and trust on him, trust him and wait on him. When he said, therefore, I felt compelled, he's saying, I had to. It just seemed like the right thing to do. I couldn't wait any longer. The whole manner of Saul's explanation makes it clear that this was no misunderstanding. He didn't say to Samuel, did I do something wrong? He knew exactly what he did and probably thought of the excuses ahead of time. Verses 13 and 14, Samuel proclaims God's judgment upon Saul's household and Samuel said to Saul you have done foolishly you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded you for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever but now your kingdom shall not continue the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you If you were to contrast the life of Saul with the life of David, what I see is a man that walks in the flesh, the carnal nature is what rules as opposed to a man that walks in the spirit. It's kind of what it comes down to. The man after God's own heart, we know is going to be David. And God is going to tell Samuel to anoint the one that I tell you and it's a man after my own heart and he sees all of Jesse's son's and many of them look striking, look, again, monarchy, like, like a king. And God has to tell Samuel, I've rejected them all, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I think we should care that man looks at the outward appearance, because we want to be able to minister to people. We, we want to be able to reach people. So I think there's, there's a level of care that we should have of what we look like, and how we dress, and we don't have stanky breath and put deodorant on and things like that I think that's just on a a just real normal natural level right there we should care but we should never care more of the outward appearance and that man looks at the outward appearance than the fact that God looks at the heart and the difference between Saul and David who we're going to see Saul's still going to reign for 20 years He's been dethroned right here. But he's still going to reign for 20 years. And we're going to see it get worse and worse. And we're going to see what a man looks like who's led by the flesh, the carnal nature. And it's a warning to us. It's an example for us to be able to look at the results of, a, of an individual in the scriptures who is led by his carnal nature's flesh. And lets that reign supremely in his life. He was anointed by God. The spirit of God had come upon him. He prophesied he was used by God. God used him to win a victory for the nation of Israel. God cares about his kids. He cares about the nation of Israel. And so he's going to use whoever he can to be able to get them, you know, the victory that he needs to give his kids. But you have an example of a person who is led by the flesh and all of us struggle in this area because all of us have to walk by faith and when we don't walk by faith what we do is we try to take the bull by the horns we try to control our lives to the extent that we experience frustration over and over frustration a desire to control and we live a frustrated life instead of a victorious life in God A walk of faith is what God is calling us to. And so as you look at this individual and you contrast it with David, you see both of them had sin. We're gonna sin. We're gonna make mistakes. But David had the ability to repent. And where Saul cared what people thought and the appearance of things, you're gonna see that as we go through for Samuel, he's more concerned with appearance of things and what it looks like and what will people say. Who cares, again, what people say as much as what God knows and what God has in store for us. David made mistakes, but David cared about what God looked like. David cared about the heart of God. And that's why he's elevated in the scriptures as the greatest king in the nation of Israel. As you get to the end, you see that they get to the place, hence the title of the message, Sharpen Your Own Sword. They get to the place where they don't have any swords. They don't have anything to fight with. Their armor is unavailable to them. Helmet of salvation. Breastplate of righteousness. Shield of faith. Belt of truth. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, sword of the spirit. That's how you're going to battle. That's how you're going to win in the spiritual realm. You don't put your armor down. You don't lay it. You don't leave it. You don't entrust it to somebody else. And so they get to the place where no longer now are the Philistines going to be able to sharpen their swords. And there's only two guys in the kingdom that have a sword. (laughs) The royal family, Saul and his son Jonathan. What good is that going to do? And if you notice the numbers, the numbers went from 3,000 to 600 because people did flee. But what does God need to gain a victory? Does God need many? We're going to see in the next chapter, Jonathan says that God can deliver with few or with many. If he wants to deliver, get out of the way. One with God is a majority. Can you imagine that? Are you on the side of God in the decisions that you're making and the things that you're doing? You You won. God's got this. We give our sword away when we don't have an understanding of general principles within the scriptures. When I have to call somebody and go to somebody constantly for the battle that I'm in and the struggle that I'm facing, why aren't I taking that responsibility? How come I'm not inept enough in the Word of God to be able to know that Satan always comes at me in this area? Satan is always hitting me in this area. He's not going to change. He's not going to lighten up. Satan never has a good day because God is able to turn around the mess that he creates and have it reap good in our life. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14... The Bible says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have had their senses exercised to discern both good and and evil. When I say sharpen your own sword, what I mean is, there's two words in the Greek, and I think in the Hebrew, I know for sure in the Greek, for sword. One of them is that sword that you see unsheathed in those movies, shing, and it makes that sound right, and it's all big old sword, and it's double-edged, and heads are hacked, and all of that stuff, right? But there's also a word in the Greek, for a dagger, for a little sword, and close to -to hand-to-hand combat. And that's what we need because of the attack of the enemy comes in moments when we're away, when we don't have access, when we can't make a phone call, when we can't go out, and we're being defeated over and over He will always come at you in the word. What did he tell Eve in Genesis chapter 3? Has God really said? Have access to God's word. In those moments when I struggle, in those moments when my life is debilitating, when I want to quit, I need a word. And it's the word that gets me through. It's the word that just somehow everything changes because it changes my perspective. And my go-to word is Psalm 61, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 119, verse 165. John chapter 6. Those are my go-tos. Great peace of those who love your law, nothing causes them to stumble. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I And John 6, I don't know how the Lord just constantly brings that one back. But when I want to quit, don't judge me. But when I want to quit, I want to throw the towel in. That word constantly comes back. Lord, to whom shall I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And I've come to believe and know that you're the Christ, the one sent from God. Where can I go? Can not go anywhere? And I'm revived. And I'm strengthened. Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. He'll come back with the temptation, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so sharpening your own sword is you take responsibility for your life. How far do you want to go with God? How deep do you want to go with God? How much do you want to be used by God? And take responsibility and know those ways that the enemy comes at you because he's not going to stop. He's going to continue to tempt you with the things you fall and falter in. In the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, when the wave offering was offered, the priest was to wave the offering, the sacrifice, and he was at all times to keep the people on the other side of the offering. Nothing ever was to come in between him and him. And the offering. And it's true in our lives if we want to see the victory. Nothing can come in between us and Jesus. No circumstance. No person. No trial. No difficulty. Stay with keeping the sacrifice in between you and everything. Don't let anything rob you of your joy. Don't let anyone take away that which God wants to bless you with. Bible says in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Romans eight thirty one says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so, be encouraged that God is for you, that one with a majority, one with God is a majority, that you fight from victory, that God has already given it to you. And, in the promised land, as we possess our possessions, there are enemies in the land, and he's relentless. But don't participate and cooperate with the enemy. Don't, don't dumb it down. We should be like turning it up, turning it on in these last days. We should be like going hardcore for God and the things of God in these last days. Not retreating, but moving forward in the things of God. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word We thank you, Father, that we can look to you, that we can walk by faith, trusting, enduring, being patient as we wait on you, Lord, knowing that you have something in store. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be those who would be aware of your word and that we would have things that we can go to, that we can call upon in that moment of needing the victory. And so continue, Father, just to teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.